Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave and did not see his body decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many words he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day.
Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that from the beginning of the church you've spoken through people, through your word. And we pray that that might happen this morning, that as we look into your word, that as we listen to your word, that you might speak into our hearts and into our minds, that you might encourage us and you might reveal yourself to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, last week we were thinking about the uh, the beginning of Acts chapter 2 and we were looking at what happened on the day of Pentecost. And uh, we said that the Holy Spirit is the promise of God for us. And uh, we said that's for everyone, for all people. And we said that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us. Uh, that Jesus promised his disciples that when he left, he wouldn't leave them as orphans, he wouldn't leave them on their own, that he would be present with him, with them through his Holy Spirit. And then we said the Holy Spirit is the power of God in us. That's the power of God working in each and every one of us. And so this week we're still uh, on the day of Pentecost. It's the same day. Uh, this was a long day for the disciples, wasn't it? <laughs> and... Uh, we carry on on the day of Pentecost and we're looking at Peter's powerful Pentecost preach. Okay? Peter's powerful Pentecost preach. You might notice this morning that uh, I'm minding my peas and there's no cues. And the first, my first point, it gets worse, my first point is that Peter's powerful Pentecost preach proclaims precisely. I'll say that again in case you didn't get it. Peter's powerful Pentecost preach proclaims precisely. Peter, in his powerful Pentecost preach, proclaims precisely the truth and he explains to them What's happening? Let me explain. He says, it says, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Peter was going to explain to the crowd what was going on, what was happening. And sometimes, you know, we need to do that, don't we? We need to explain to people what's going on. And uh, Peter does that in the first sermon of the new church. Somebody's worked out that uh, if you actually read his sermon, it lasted about three minutes. Some of you may wish that sermons today lasted uh, about three minutes. Interestingly, there's been a little bit of discussion about uh, sermons this week, uh, certainly at the minister's meeting that I went to, because of an article uh, that has appeared in several places, uh, including uh, the Daily Telegraph, for those who, who, who read it, uh, under the title, Vickers Urged to Reign in Jokes. Vickers Urged to Reign in Jokes. And I thought it would be interesting to hear uh, the entire article, because this is what it says. This is John uh, Bingham, the religious affairs editor. He said, 
it is a sound as familiar as British church, as in British churches as organ music or an echoing cough from the back row, but the familiar ritual of congregations raising a faint titter as the vicar attempts another toe-curling joke or rambling antidote could become a thing of the past if findings of new research are taken to heart by clerics. According to new research, churchgoers, that's you folk, would rather clergy stick to serious topics and leave the jokes to comedians. A survey of Christians found that they ranked weighty explanations of, of the Bible as 27 times more important in a sermon as humour and practical application. 42 times more highly than personal antidotes. The findings come from research commissioned by the Christian Resources Exhibition, a trade fair for all things clerical, taking place at Excel Centre in London next week. For the first time, organisers are running a Sermon of the Year competition. A poll of 1,400 regular churchgoers commissioned for the event found a perhaps surprising appetite for longer sermons with less than 1% favouring a talk under five minutes, but 36% favouring a monologue between 20 and 30 minutes. So, no more jokes about the elephant that packed his trunk and went off to the circus, not on your Nelly. No more jokes about possible replacements for Louis Van Gaal. No way, Jose. But I quite like this. Rich Wales says this is what people take away from his sermons. Uh, Subtle but profound theological insights is in the red. One of three points beginning with P in the yellow. The fact that it was... uh, can't read what it says. The fact that it was a memorable. Oh, the, the fact that it was the, the man who gave the sermon in green, and the opening joke about the bishop and the three tons of dried fruit in blue. There we go. <laughs> but to be serious, because that's what you want, according to research. The crowd were asking, "What does this mean?" Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, "What does this mean?" And Peter tells them. And the interesting thing that I see about that is that is that Peter is actually answering a question that people outside are wanting the answer to. Very often in church, we're answering questions that people outside aren't interested in. Uh, we're talking about stuff that people aren't even aware of. And so, really what we need to be know is, what we need to know is, what are the questions people want answers to in today's society? And I think it's, it's things like, you know, uh, why does God allow so much suffering in the world? Uh, how do we explain the fact that religion seems to be uh, behind many of the atrocities and things that are going on? These are the sorts of questions uh, that people are raising outside there in the world. And that you and I uh, do need to have some sort of answer to. There does need to be an explanation, just like Peter was given an explanation on the day of Pentecost, to things that were happening in their day. And that's what Peter does. He goes on to explain. Some people, of course, said they've had too much to drink. And, uh, and Peter says, somehow, sorry, somehow I've made fun of them and said that they've had too much wine. And Peter says, again, answering their question, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And interesting, in answering the people's question, what's going on, Peter refers them back to scripture. 
and explains using the the words of the prophet Joel uh, what is actually happening. Our job too is to explain, but not by ignoring scripture, but by using scripture. And therefore we do need to have a good knowledge of scripture. A little advert for tonight's uh, cafe church. What is what we actually believe really based on scripture? Does what we really believe, how much of what we believe is actually based on scripture? Come along to find out tonight. So Peter answers them by, by referring them to Joel. Ex- let me explain to you. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in the, those last days. And they will prophesy. Uh, we don't really... Uh, recognize the radical nature of what Joel was saying. I will pour out my spirit on both men and women. We take it for granted, don't we, that uh, that women get up and, and speak and preach and take part in, in church. In, 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 in Joel's time, and certainly in Peter's time, it would have been almost unheard of, the idea that the Holy Spirit uh, might have fallen on, on women and on servants. The Holy Spirit was reserved... Uh, for the elites, for the priests and for the kings. And uh, what Joel prophesies is that a day will come when God will pour out his spirit on all people. And that was what was happening on the day of Pentecost. And, Paul, and Peter is explaining to the crowds that this is something that had been foretold. This is something that, that was, going to be, was, was going to happen. So Peter's powerful Pentecost preach proclaims precisely what is happening. And then secondly, my second point, Peter's powerful Pentecost preach points personally, points personally to Jesus. Peter points to Jesus. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did amongst you through him as you yourself know. A few more Ps. Uh, Jesus was proved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell on him and then he gave the disciples the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was, uh, Jesus was presented in person. He lived among them and he did these miraculous signs that people that Peter was talking to uh, would have known all about. And then of course, Peter goes on to say that he was prophesied by David, that David, the great king and psalm writer, spoke about the coming Messiah. And that Jesus was proclaimed by Peter as Lord and Christ. So Peter's powerful Pentecost preach points personally to Jesus. And that's our job too. uh, To point people to Jesus. To tell people not only what Jesus has done in our lives, but what Jesus can do in their lives. And uh, to be able to speak about Jesus. Tom Wright says this, at the heart of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit is all about the launching of the new temple. In Judaism, heaven and earth overlapped in the temple. But now, says Luke, Jesus is the one who has taken earth in his own person, his own human body, right into heaven. As the Father welcomes the Son into his rightful seat as Lord of the world, he pours out his Spirit upon Jesus' followers so that they can both be and accomplish 
new creation in themselves and in the world. And he goes on to say, This is a solid rock on which Christian mission is built. And this is why on the day of Pentecost, Peter's sermon isn't about how people can have a new spiritual experience. It's about the fact that God's new day has dawned at last. The great and glorious day of the Lord spoken of by the prophets and about the fact that the crucified Jesus has been exalted as King and Lord over Israel and the whole world. So Peter is pointing to Jesus and saying that Jesus is now exalted. He is Christ and Lord of the whole world. Peter's powerful Pentecost preach points personally to Jesus. And there's more. Peter's powerful Pentecost preach pleads passionately. Peter's powerful Pentecost preach pleads passionately. He pleads passionately to the crowd with many other words. He warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. We too live in a a very corrupt generation, don't we? And actually people are looking for answers. They're fed up, aren't they? Have you noticed that people are, are fed up with the, the political system? And uh, that's why uh, new parties are, are finding great supports, because people are fed up with the corruption and, and uh, the injustice that goes on in this world. People really are interested and concerned about these things. And so it was in Peter's day. And Peter says, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Peter's powerful Pentecost preach pleads passionately with people. And it's something that you and I also need to do. We need to not just try and uh, uh, preach Christ, but we need to, to take it seriously. We need to plead with people to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? I like the way in Peter's sermon... That there's a little bit of interaction with the crowd. Do you notice that? Uh, you think your job is just to sit and listen, don't you? Uh, it seemed to me that when Peter preached that people were perhaps interacting and shouting out. And, uh, you know, that's okay. <laughs> I think. And, uh, and Peter responds, but again, he's, he's responding and speaking about things that people want to hear. Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off. Peter, in his sermon, pleads passionately, but he gives some practical advice to what they're asking. He says, this is what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to be baptised. And our message hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Uh, we, need, we may need to explain it in a language that people can understand because not many people will understand what repentance means. Uh, people have all sorts of strange ideas about what baptism means. And we need to be able to put that in a, in a plain language that people can understand. A friend of mine uh, who's a minister in Stockport is, is working with some uh, refugees who have uh, a very little crass grasp of, of the English language. And so it's been a real challenge uh, trying to present 
the simple gospel in very simple language. It's been a challenge because it's not something that we do very often. When was the last time that you tried to explain the gospel to somebody? Anybody. This is a chance for you actually to come back at me. Can anybody remember the last time that they actually tried to explain the gospel to somebody? Think about it. Was it last week? Was it last month? Was it last year? Was it a number of years ago? It's not something that we do every day, is it? And, uh, and maybe that going back to that three minute sermon, uh, we've done this before in the past, but it's not a bad idea, you know, to have a, a little three minute, two, three minute <coughs> way of, of, of being able to explain the gospel because the, 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 the chances are when you do get the opportunity, uh, you'll be caught off guard because you're not expecting somebody to ask you the question and you might be kind of flummoxed and thrown by the question because we're not used to explaining the gospel. And, uh, Peter's sermon reminds us that we, we, we need to remind ourselves of what the gospel is, about what repentance means, about the, the need for people to be baptised. Repentance is all about turning around and going in a different direction. And uh, that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. It's saying, that, it's saying that we were going in this direction and we came to know Jesus and we had a complete turnaround. And we're now going in another direction towards God. And we need to be able to explain that to people in a way that people can understand. And we need to be doing that probably more than we are doing it. Peter's powerful Pentecost preach pleads passionately. And then finally, Peter's powerful Pentecost preach persuades people. Peter's powerful Pentecost preach persuades people. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. But who's counting? Who's counting? 3,000 people were added to their number that day. And it is a mark, isn't it, of the early church that the church grew at a very rapid rate. Um, the number of the members grew to about 5,000. This is in Acts 4. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers, Acts 5. The word of God spread. The number of disciples increased rapidly, Acts 6. And we have to recognise that we live in a very different day and a very different age where certainly in this country... Uh, we're not seeing this rapid growth. In other parts of the world, uh, the church is seeing rapid growth. Uh, you know, in parts of Africa and South America and, uh, and parts of Asia, the church is seeing rapid growth. But we're constantly being told in this country that we are part of a church that is in decline. That people are leaving the church. And that presents its own struggles and challenges to us. Because we come to the gospel and we, and we read of, of amazing things and miraculous growth. And if we're not careful, we can become very despondent and think, well, this isn't our experience. And therefore, it's even a bigger challenge for us to reimagine how we can do mission today. Because the reality is the old ways of doing mission no longer work. 
You know, the, if you invited people to a Billy Graham type rally, the chances are <clears throat> people wouldn't want to go. So we have to rethink and reimagine ways of presenting the same gospel of Jesus Christ in a different way. Because Peter's powerful <clears throat> Pentecost preach persuades people. And the gospel of Jesus Christ still persuades people today.